there are business leaders that are making so much more than profit in their enterprises. They're elevating their businesses, teams, and themselves to add more value. And so can you. Welcome to the Chris Cooper Business Elevation Show with host Chris Cooper. If you were looking for ways to elevate success while contributing to a better world, you'll want to listen in for the next hour. Now here's your host, Chris Cooper. Hello, this is Chris Cooper and a big welcome to the Business Elevation Show on Voice America. Wonderful to be back for yet another week with another great guest. And uh, today, I think, is episode 509. So we've done a few of these now, um, all aimed at helping you to develop your thinking, to do business in a better way and contribute to a better world. And there's lots of opportunity there to be able to do that for us all. Uh, last week, um, we had uh, Charlotte Velour on the show and Charlotte was, uh, was a fantastic guest. We talked about neurodiversity. And Charlotte had uh, been the chair of the Institute of Directors in the United Kingdom. And she'd also, amongst her many accomplishments, she had founded the Institute of Neurodiversity, which is now growing rapidly with 12,000 members and really representing the, the neurodiverse populations around the world. And it's about 20% of us who have uh, some uh, neurodiversity and, uh, and really helping them to have a, a voice um, helping people to realize their kind of abilities and the superpowers and uh, just helping them na navigate uh, the world of work and helping people like schools and businesses to uh, to work with these people and identify them and um, and help them to thrive. So it was a fascinating interview last week, um, one that was very close to home as I have a, a, a neurodiverse son and wife. Um, and uh, it, was a, it was a great conversation. So do do check that out. So on this week, show we're going to talk about the death the death of demographics um i think we're probably going to find that they haven't completely died died but we're um, during this interview um but so I, I we're going to talk about um about human behavior and we're going to ask that question is demographics dead and my guest today david allison realized that people simply don't act their age anymore you know the wealthy they often prefer to shop in walmart uh, you might have things you know more in common with uh, somebody who's twice your age living in you know in a rural population in africa we don't we don't realize that actually um, a lot of commonality comes down to values and that values are really important whereas traditionally marketeers and certainly going back through my kind of school days and my business days people looked at ethnicity and age and nation and uh, to determine um, well, how they should approach people, how they should market to them, etc. Now, David's a human values expert. He's a global researcher. He's a best-selling author. He's a great speaker, got a wonderful voice, as you'll hear shortly. And he's focused on changing the way that we understand ourselves, the people around us, and those we hope to engage with in our work. He's the founder of the Value Graphics Project, the first global inventory of human core values. And as you'll get to hear, this is an enormous study. Uh, this is not just a few people that uh, David's called up in his spare time. This is, uh, we're talking about 750,000 surveys. He's made values into a measurable business metric, a new kind of insight that helps organizations succeed in today's values economy. Um, so it's a great pleasure to welcome him. We're going to talk about his latest book, The Death of Demographics, uh, Value Graphic Marketing for a Values-Driven World. And I think 
I'd like you to listen to this from a number of different perspectives. You might want to listen to this as a marketeer, from the perspective of being a leader, uh, from, from the perspective of just being interested in people and considering maybe how you have been brought up to judge people uh, by their demographics. Uh, and really what we should be doing is really taking into account their values. So a big welcome today to David Allison. Hello. Thanks for having me over. Nice, uh, nice place you have here. You're very welcome. Yeah, lovely to lovely to talk to you. And actually, I wish I could come to you because I love Vancouver. Oh, it is a good city. It's <laughs> you know, I I'm so lucky. I get to travel all over the world and see some pretty amazing places. And I, there's something to love about each one of them for sure. But every time I get to come home, the journey for me, you land at the airport, we get into an Uber and I come back and I live right downtown in a, at the top of a very tall building. And so I go over a little bridge and there's a moment where I'm on the top of this little bridge where I can see the mountains on one side, the ocean on the other, and I can pretty much wave at whoever's in my apartment. And I'm like, this is the best place on earth. It's got everything, hasn't it? It's got those, those, those beaches and it's got the mountains and the skiing if you want to do it. And there's wildlife on your doorstep and, just yeah, literally, quite literally, wildlife on the door. I have friends who live over in West Vancouver, which is the other side of the of the of the bridge, and they get bears in their backyard. Um, uh, pretty much every spring, there's bears that come down from the mountain. There's a major metropolitan center, and there's bears showing up in their backyard and rifling through their garbage, and uh, it's a fairly common occurrence. Yeah, we we're just uh, chatting with someone uh, two or three weeks ago who had wolf wolves in his back garden, which I thought was quite. Um... <laughs> quite interesting and one 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 was um getting a little bit um a bit menacing which shows you had to back off and uh and hide <laughs> no don't quite get that in the united in the united kingdom here you might see the odd fox if you if you're lucky yeah so has, has vancouver always been your home is that where you were brought up? you know what it feels like home now I, i've i've been here for 25 years and uh prior to that i grew up in in a smaller um city in in canada and right in the center of the province uh, center of the country called winnipeg mm. and uh i went to school in the united states for my like, four years down there and then came back to winnipeg for a bit and moved to calgary which is a little closer to the west coast sort of halfway between winnipeg and vancouver and then I uh, finally made it to Vancouver about 25 years ago. Oh, and to complete the story, I was actually born in Halifax, which is on the far East Coast. So, mm. you know, I've been from coast to coast. It takes taken me uh, 57 years to get from one end of the country to the other. And and here we are. Thanks on Nova Scotia, Halifax, isn't it? Nova Scotia, yeah. Nova indeed. Scotia. Yeah, lo lovely, lovely, big, huge country. I think I hadn't realized until recently, it was, is, it, is it the... I heard something suggesting it was the second biggest country in the world, which I hadn't, uh, which I thought was, was, I didn't think it could be because I thought Russia, China, but. Um, you know, you look at one of those maps where they're kind yeah. of blown out and proportionate to each other. And some of these countries that have an outsized presence on the world stage are actually not that big yeah. in terms of actual square footage. Uh, Canada, for me to fly from one end of Canada to the other, I go through one, two, three, four, four and a half time zones. So if that gives you some sense of, uh, of the width of the place, yeah, it's, it's big. And all of the populations sort of clustered down around the Canadian US border. And so as you get up a little bit um, uh, further into the uh, uh, northern parts of the country, it's vast unspoiled wilderness and pristine lakes and um, beautiful mountains. And it's a, 
It's it's a it's a absolutely stunning country. I feel so lucky to have been born here. I think one of my my life highlights was uh, taking a seaplane from Vancouver Island to a, a research centre and seeing the grizzly bears eating salmon. I, I will never forget that. It was uh, such a treat. Yeah, absolutely. So you must have been up in the, around uh, Haida Gwaii then. I think it was called Knight's Inlet. We went to. I don't know that one. There's a bazillion yeah. inlets up and down the coast of British Columbia. Yeah. Which I heard somebody on a podcast the other day referring to British Columbia. It was an American-based um, organization having this this podcast chat, and they said British Columbia was a uh, confusingly named after two countries, <laughs> which I thought was a good way of uh, talking about it. <laughs> My wife did some of her as a G G GP, and she did some of her like a, a um, elective out in in uh, sort of. British Columbia area with uh, native Indians, which was quite interesting communities, which was really interesting. She's got family there as well. So uh, yeah, we need to come again. Um, what does your wife, what does your wife do? What's her field? She's a general practitioner, so a GP, a medic. Ah, okay. 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 Yeah. Cool. Wonderful. Yeah. So it was quite, quite insightful for her to uh, experience working with, um, with Indian communities. Our indigenous population yeah. here in Canada, you know, we're really lucky. We're, we're, um, finally 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 starting to wake up and listen to what they have to teach us they've been here their phrasing is they've been here since time immemorial since the first sunrise uh they know this land better than anyone and the kinds of learning that they can bring to all of us right now while we're struggling with issues around how do we how do we be resilient how do we build community how do we interact with our natural environment how do we um find what's important in life. I mean, they've, they've known this forever and uh, our teachers are amongst us and we're starting to listen to them yes. and starting to treat them in uh, with the respect that they're due. I, and, and it's about uh, completely and utterly about time. It's it, it, crazy, isn't it? Crazy. Yeah. The superiority and all those sorts of things that uh, we're in the, in the psyche over the years. Um, but you're right, we're starting to realize what's, what's important. And, um, and there's a lot, a lot to learn. <laughs> there is, there we'll is. And that's about... what a little bit of what we're trying to it do is. is, is to help people find what's truly important about being human. And this experience we're all going through together called human life. And in order for that to be something that those of us with um, uh, more Western brains, I suppose, uh, can cope with and understand. It needs to be in the what I call the love language of organizations, which is uh, is data. Uh, because if we just talk about these values, these things that make us human and that we share together, if we just talk about them with pretty words, that's that's that that's that's you can ignore that. That's a that's an esoteric. Uh, a conversation about fluffy things it becomes poetry uh, instead of hardcore scientific facts as soon as we hear that we have to pay attention that's what we're programmed to do as a as a as a culture so i think if there's something i'm the proudest of what we've done and we'll get into this as we continue speaking but we've taken these warm fuzzy poetic conversations about this incredibly important things our shared human values are what makes us our humanity and taken it from being soft and fuzzy and made it into fact and now you can't ignore it yeah. so that's what we're here to do and what inspired you to do that 
what, 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 why, why, why values become so deeply meaningful to you? Of course, the values are meaningful, but why are you? Well, I mean, it came from it came from a I came from a marketing background, uh, and I you know I'd always worked in way back in the day when I first started. We worked in a thing called an ad agency. We used mm -hmm. to call them that. Uh, now we have all kinds of fancy names for them. But uh, and then I started one of my own, and uh, for ten years we did pretty much the same kind of work. We we're a specialist firm. We did nothing but uh, real estate developments. So we'd have um, large scale condo developers and resort developers and office tower builders and even small communities and new villages and things all over the world. And they'd come to us and help say, help us sell this stuff. And uh, like any marketing exercise, the first thing you do is you sit down and say, okay, who are we trying to sell this to? And you define a group of people. And using the tools that we had to our, at our disposal, we would define that group of people based on age and income and gender and marital status, number of kids and all those demographic uh, ideas. And maybe we'd have a little bit of psychographic information, which is all that other stuff we tend to know when we collect data, like how many, is this their second home, their third home? Have they, you know, how much do they want to spend? When are they ready to buy? All that other kind of stuff. And then we go and spend a million bucks and try and sell all that stuff. And the cool thing about that industry from a sort of, um, you know, uh, scientific methodology is that you get to, it's, it's a closed loop. You go and you do a thing, you spend all this money talking to these people. And within two years, you're standing in a room with the people who you managed to convince. Hmm. And you don't get to do that much. Like in brand advertising, it's just like you keep talking to people and say, drink Coca-Cola, forget that Pepsi stuff. You never actually get to be in a room with them. I mean, I guess small little focus groups or whatever. But I would stand in those rooms time after time after time and look around you know what those receptive, those business things are like, you know, you got a, a shrimp on a stick and a glass of cheap champagne and you're kind of like, yay, you all bought a condo. Good for you. And you're looking around and be like, who the heck are you people? <laughs> you don't resemble that target audience yeah. description yeah. at all. Yeah. You know, maybe 10 or 15% of them did, but the rest of them was like, I didn't, I didn't create messages for you. I didn't talk to you. I didn't, I didn't buy your channels. I didn't do anything for you. And yet here you are. And so when I sold that company, that was the mystery I set out to solve is what the hell were all those people doing in the room? Uh, why, why were they there? And for that, you need to dive into behavioral science. And then that takes you down looking at neurology, psychology, sociology. And it, basically what you wind up finding when you dig into that world is that our values as humans, they drive every decision we make, whether you know it's happening or not. Uh, and it's not, you don't get to opt out. This isn't just the big decisions, not the small ones or everything from standing in the grocery store, deciding between two cans of soup to deciding who you're going to marry, what you're going to study, where you're going to work. Everything is filtered through your values. So that's the secret. That's the secret. If you know what people value, you know what they're going to do. Yeah. Yeah. So this, this, this insight. So, so those people that you saw, and it stuck out, that's, that story there stuck out for me in your book. Um, so what you, you saw in those people, they weren't, they weren't the people that you had necessarily tried to attack through, um, approach through, through the marketing. They were actually, did you see within them that actually they had values in common? Well, you know, in retrospect, once we went away and figured out what was that, going yeah. on here, I'd look back and go, you know what? You weren't all different from each other. You were actually all the same. same. Yeah. I was just looking with the wrong glasses on. 
I was looking at them demographically and going, well, you're not fitting the demographic description because we didn't know how to look at their value graphics and to understand what's in their hearts and what makes them all similar to each other. Yeah. Cause, cause today we're, it's also, I suppose, you know, more traditionally, maybe in my, my father's time, people stuck to doing what they, you know, what they're expected to do. I remember my, my wife's parents, when they're in the forties, they went to see that and they're now, uh, mom's now 90, 93. And they went to the doctor when they were in their early forties to see if it was sensible for them to go skiing. And the doctor said, <laughs> no, no, absolutely not. You know, not at your age. And they, they didn't oh go God. skiing. And of course, oh um, you know, today it's, you can, you people you've, on the ski slopes, you'd see from, you know, a whole spectrum of ages, you know, putting an age demographic on that just wouldn't work, would it? No, I mean, you know. retired people, and I know we're on radio, so you can't see me using my fingers as air quotes here, but retired people aren't sitting in rocking chairs, whittling a stick or knitting like they would have perhaps at some point, 100, 200, 300 years ago. They're jumping out of airplanes. Yeah. They're bungee jumping. They're climbing <laughs> Mount Kilimanjaro. They're having the times of their lives. And then on the other end of the spectrum, all this stuff, I was just reading a whole nasty article this morning about what Gen Z is all about. Well, there's a couple billion of them on the planet. You're trying to tell me they're all similar somehow? It just doesn't make yeah. any sense. Yeah. Uh, it, and and all these big, smart companies are putting like Gen Z experts uh, uh, panels together. There's even one very, I won't mention them, but a very, very large respected research organization that has appointed a ZEO, not a CEO, but a ZEO, a CEO, a ZEO, depending on what part of the world you're in, uh, whose job is to flit in and out of meetings and say, oh no, my generation won't love that. Don't do it that way. Like what? Uh, that would be like me being hired to, to be the um, chief um, I don't know, the, the chief ideas officer in charge of men. I'm going to speak for all men on the planet and say, here's what men like and what men don't like. It's nonsense. You can't possibly, you can't possibly do that. No, it's, it's interesting. I've, I've had the privilege of late to spend time with quite a lot of young people, which is, which is really nice, actually. I'm in my, my early 50s, in my 50s. Uh, and what I've realized in, in meeting all of them, that some of them I have loads in common with. Loads, loads and loads in common with some of them less so and you use an, an analogy in your book which i liked which was um if people who've got a, a bookcase you talked about you know in gen z for example the extreme you know the extremes of that um of that um kind of demographic can be completely different or almost like the different books on your bookshelf yeah sure um yeah, i, I really like about... that demographics is the, the the dewey decimal system of humanity that uh you know you 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 use the old card catalogs when you went into a library and it would send you to the right shelf in the library and go here's here's the books on that subject but then expecting all the books on that shelf to be exactly the same as each other is is non is nonsense yeah. uh so demographics are a great way to get yourself to the right shelf Say, here's a group of people who are similar around one characteristic, how old they are. But then to look at them all and say, and so now they're all exactly the same as each other, it's, just, it's, it's ridiculous. And, and the data backs it up. We have you know, more than 750,000 surveys right now in the database, and we've profiled them 152 languages, 180 countries, more accurate than you need for a PhD. 
And I can tell you that people within any demographic cohort, not just age, but age, income, gender, marital status, they're only about 10% similar. Mm. So if you spend money trying to talk to a demographically defined group of people, you're going to get at best around a 10% response. That's a 90% fail. And yet we continue to do it over and over and over again. So you might as well be better as well off going into a, maybe into a, a, a city center on a weekend. If you could put a cordon around, you know, you, you're focusing on a, a thousand people. You might be as successful with that thousand people within that cordon as you might be with the, the demographic and the targeting that you've. Yeah, absolutely. Identified. You know, we, if we talk about it in terms of, of age, there's so much time being spent talking like, what do boomers want? What is Gen Z, millennials, Gen X? You know, the great term for all that, it's business astrology. You'd be better off just targeting Gemini's uh, or Sagittarius. <laughs> uh, it's probably just as accurate. Yeah. Well, on that note, we're going to go to commercial break, and and after the commercial break, we'll start to find out, you know, maybe more about why why this is important, about the the methodology that value graphics have used to uh, to really get an understanding of, of of values, and it'd be you know cool to talk about maybe some of the value similarities between between countries as well. That would be quite cool. And do you identify some archetypes as well? So we'll talk about those a bit later on, which are, I guess are kind of maybe maybe clusters of values, but. Uh, well, let's let's get into this and uh, and really start to understand some of the things that bring us together as well, rather than pull us pull us apart. So we're we'll back again in just a couple of minutes, and, and so do join us after the break. Uh, I promise you, there's um, lots more to come, um, and it'd be well worth you listening, probably with a pen and paper. Be back with you again in just a couple of minutes. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program. One-to-one -one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Say It Skillfully is my radio show about being who you are and saying what you think needs to be said. This is your host, Molly Chang. I'll help you find the right words to tackle any challenging conversation you've been avoiding. Whether you're part of a small project team or leading a giant company, the more you accept that you're part of the problem, the faster you can be part of the solution. You'll learn how to achieve success on your terms and be happier, healthier, and more productive at work and in your life. Check out sayitskillfully.com for practical resources, including my 90-second videos, real-life examples showing you how to speak up skillfully. I invite you to call in with your questions. Join me live every Tuesday, 11 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Business Channel. And no, I'm cheering for you.
you're tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper. I'm with David Allison, and we're talking about the, uh, the death of demographics. We're talking about values and why values are so important. And uh, I think some groundbreaking work that David has done and his team to really understand understand this. And uh, But before I, I forget, I should also um, thank Peter Kelly Detweiler, who is, um, I, I described him as one of the world's leading energy consultants, a great guy. And um, I want to thank him for bumping into David and, uh, and suggesting we got together. Um, so David, people might be sitting and listening to this and think it's all, you know, it's all well, great. We're talking about values and I think I get why values are important, but why is it really important to me? Why is this conversation right now? I I can see how it might help a marketeer, but why, what's in it for me? What? Yeah. You know, a great way to think about this is to remember that time that we've all had, we've all had this experience where, where you're away. It usually happens when you're away for some reason. It's when you're on vacation, you're away on a business conference, you're outside of your normal routine. Maybe it's because you're more receptive to people or something, but you run into someone and you start talking to each other. And within five or 10 minutes, you're like finishing each other's sentences. You just, you just clicked. Uh, one of you might even say it out loud. It's like, oh my, what? I feel like I've known you my whole life. This is crazy. How do we, what's happened is you've run into somebody who has the same values that you do. You've run into somebody who looks at the world with the same lenses that you do. And that's why you can finish each other's sentences because something happens and you both are looking at that and filtering it in the same way. And so you know what the other one's going to say. And if, if that person, let's make up some stuff here. If that person said to you, you know what, let's go bungee jumping this afternoon. They would know just how to say that because they're filtering reality with the same filters that you are. Uh, they would know just how to say that to make you go, oh, you know what? I've never considered that before, but that sounds like the best idea in the world. Let's do it. And then uh, let's go in the other direction. If, if uh, you then ran into that person the next day, let's say you meet at a breakfast table in the place where you're staying and they were in a bad mood, something, something, a bad phone call from home last night or something, you'd know exactly what to say to make them feel better again, because you're connected at that deep values level inside your hearts. You look at the world the same way. So that's a fast friend. That's what we call it. It's a fast friend. Now imagine if you could think about your employees, your customers, your prospects, your funders, your donors, your shareholders, any group of people, if you could think about them and know them that well, if you could have fast friends at scale, wouldn't that change the conversation of what it is you're trying to do at work, yeah. where you're in there trying to just help your friends who you know that well, get to a good place. That's what we can do if we know what people's values are. Yeah, that's fast friends and scale. I like that. So you you um you you did this you know seven hundred fifty thousand surveys, and you identified fifty six values that were that were important. Um, just tell us a little bit about that, but also tell us me share. 
a bit about what, from your experience, the world has in common and doesn't have in common. Mm-hmm. Uh, so give, give, give us a little bit of insight into what you did, but also what were the, what were the key findings? Yeah, so, you know, we found these 56 values uh, without going in with any preconceived notions about what they were going to be. So you talk to three quarters of a million people, and that's the official number at the moment. We're creeping up on a million, and at some point I'm going to make a big noise about that. So, But for now, it's still the official number, 750,000. So you talk to 750,000 people about what they care about and what is important to them and around a whole bunch of different topics. And then you kind of listen for signals in that noise and you identify the common threads. Uh, Here in uh, North America, I know it's not as big a deal over in Europe, but we have Halloween. Every year the kids go out and they they get a big pillowcase full of candy from all their neighbors. It's not as much as they used to because it's all where everyone's worried about strangers giving your kids candy these days. But back in the day, you'd come home with this giant pillowcase full of candy, you'd dump it all out on the dining room table, and then you could look at it and sort it into piles. There'd be a pile of full-size chocolate bars. You liked those guys, those houses that was like, yay, they gave us a big chocolate bar. Mm -hmm. Then there's the miniature chocolate bars, the lollipops, the bubble gum, whatever. So we took all this data, 750,000 surveys, 152 languages, 180 countries, and we poured it all out on the dining room table. And we stood back and went, huh, it clumps into 56 piles. Uh, And those 56 piles are the 56 values that are driving the decisions, emotions, behaviors, reactions to the world of everybody on earth in a in a very accurately collected sample that is referred to, if there's data geeks listening, it's a random stratified statistically representative sample. It's a mouthful. Uh, but it basically just means this is a miniaturized model of the world. It's, it's, um, it's a proportionate model of the population of planet Earth. And those 56 values are truly what drives everyone to do everything all day long. It's like we have the GPS system now for humanity. Uh, it's a it's a fascinating accomplishment, even if we didn't do anything else, to just say we now know what everyone on Earth cares about so much that it drives everything they do. So when politicians stand up and say, the people of my country care about this, you know if they're lying or not, because we actually have data that says, no, no, that's not what they care about. They care about this. So to tell you some stuff about it... Um, First off, in context, 56 values isn't very much. I mean, there's 88 keys on a piano, right? Mm-hmm. It's harder to learn how to play chopsticks on the piano than it is to uh, understand what's driving all of us to do everything all day long. And then those 56 values, they do tend to show up in different ways in different parts of the world, but it's not that much difference from people in China and people in Japan and people in uh, uh, the Philippines and people in the UK and people in the United States and people in uh, Sao Paulo. Uh, We're all humans. And there's only so many buttons that need to be pushed in order to understand how humans are going to are going to behave. Some of the ones that show up the most have there's a little cluster uh, of of them of those 56. There's five that we call the togetherness values. And and that's a really lovely finding that more than anything else, humans want to be with each other. Now, how they want to be with each other varies a bit. Those five togetherness values outline that. There's family, uh, friendships, uh, relationships, uh, community, and then this big giant one called belonging. 
Uh, and those are the five ways that we want to be with other people. Uh, and those show up pretty near the top of the list in pretty much every part of the world, and not just every part of the world, but every little tiny slice of every part of the world that our clients hire us to help them understand. A particular group of people for a particular product, always there are togetherness values that show up in the data. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I'm um, thinking I've done some surveys recently for, for clients on culture and family, family comes out for personal values as number one. And those, I see the togetherness values that you identified, not exactly always the same wording, but, but they feature in the top, the top listings of, yeah. uh, of those Here's surveys. A, interesting little data point. Um, we talked earlier about how I'm from Canada. So, you know, we have this very large neighbor to our South called the United States. Uh, and, uh, if you're a Canadian, when you go down into the United States, you kind of feel it. You're like, well, this isn't the same as the as as Canada. Uh, even just getting off an airplane and a transfer in a different airport in an in American city, you're like, yeah, no, this isn't. This, these are not. I am definitely in a foreign country, mm -hmm. uh, and I don't know if Americans feel the same when they come to Canada. Maybe maybe they do. Uh, but in in Canada, the number one most important value for the general population is family, and then yeah. it's followed by belonging. In the United States, the number one most important value is belonging, followed by family. That may not seem like a big deal, but when we hear all these stories about my friends in, in, in the United States where where you belong right now defines you more than who is your family. If you've chosen the red team versus yeah. the blue team, yeah. sometimes we hear all these stories about Aunt Sally and Uncle Bob are no longer invited to Thanksgiving dinner because they're on the wrong team. Mm -hmm. They chose the other guy and we don't want him in our house anymore. Belonging is more important than family. I mean, the other way I see it showing up is uh, uh, professional sports culture. Mm -hmm. People in the United States are incredibly focused on the team that they support, the, the team that they're part of, that they belong to. Uh, so it's really, um, it's really fascinating to have this toy, this, uh, this, uh, making light of it, but this, this amazing database where we can go in and say, all right, for any group of people you want to think about what drives them, what do they care about? What are their values? You can do mm -hmm. that down to these incredible levels of specificity. I'll tell you, I'm, I know I'm rambling, but I'll stop after this last story. So the, uh, uh, we can go in there and do fun stuff. And sometimes we just, because it's, it's mine, I can go in there and decide to pull stuff out of it. And one of the things we, we analyzed was people who drink uh, gin martinis versus vodka martinis. Like that's how precise mm -hmm. we can get with this and find the differences where they're similar. If you're a gin distiller, what you should be talking about to get your folks to double down. And if you're a vodka distiller, what you need to do that's slightly different. Amazing. Yeah. It's, I, th I think that I, I just can't help thinking going back to that um, point, which we, about why leaders, um, or if, if leaders had this information, whether they would, could really utilize it in a, in a good way. Um, but I suppose self-interest often comes into the mix, you know, somebody, somebody's, uh, self-interest, uh, because, um, if you understood that that family was the most important for people and you understood belonging was important to people and relationships were important and you, you develop your policies and you follow them through, 
then surely, and you also promoted that and appreciated it between countries as well, that they weren't all out to get you and to steal from you and uh, et cetera, then maybe we could help move towards a better world. That's what I like about this conversation, not just the marketeers understanding people to sell them more products, but potentially if we understand those similarities between people and we are more culturally aware and are more culturally forgiving at times, maybe we could move towards a better world. Yeah, we undoubtedly could. Um, I'd like to talk about that from a couple of perspectives. I mean, the first one is to try and make it more um, easier for people to identify with. I mean, there's a lot of conversation right now around uh, workplace culture and about retaining employees, attracting them, engaging them, and, and a lot of conversation from within the ranks, I suppose we could say, about why I love it here or why I hate it here and what needs to change about this thing called my work. And the problem is that we're guessing at what is important. Mm-hmm. So if you knew for a fact that your workforce was motivated primarily by personal growth, ambition, and in third place was family, you would do a set of different things to build an engaged workplace culture than you would if family was the most important thing and personal growth was number 10 on the list, ambition didn't even show up and environmentalism was number two on the list. So if you understand what people value, you know what they're looking for every day, you know what they're motivated towards, what inspires them, you can build an engaged workplace culture without guessing. And going, well, I don't know, maybe it's just flex time. Uh, Maybe it's like one day at home every day you're in the office and you get a day at home. Or We're just making stuff up and throwing it against the wall and hoping it sticks. So values can really build um, uh, an empirically scientific perspective on how to make work what we want it to be. And then, of course, there's the whole issue of demographic stereotyping and how it's really not doing any good in the world. It's not working for us because people in a demographic don't don't resemble each other. It's an ineffective business tool and it's causing enormous problems and enormous issues. And I know we're coming up on a break, so maybe I'll leave that as a bit of a cliffhanger and we'll come back and talk about that. <laughs> right. Okay. We'll, we'll have our commercial break now and then we'll, uh, we'll let you continue in just a couple of minutes. So do join us again. Be back in just a couple of moments. Take care. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high-return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program, one-to-one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. 
The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business talk. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper. I'm with uh, David Allison, and we're talking about about values. And uh, we were having a really this is a thought provoking conversation, and we were we were really getting into it. And David, you, I, I allowed you to. Well, you've you've, you've finished halfway through. Uh, I think uh, a, a story or an explanation you wanted to share. So I'm going to let you just roll straight in and continue. It's like the cliffhanger in your favorite sitcom. And then you have yeah. to come back to the next episode to hear what happened next. <laughs> yeah. So this is where I get really excitable about this stuff, because here's the thing. It's really great that what we do can help organizations figure out their people and figure out their customers and start to look at each other with a better set of lenses because it's more effective and it's the way should things should be done. It should be a human centric approach to what needs to happen in the world. So that's great. But here's the even bigger issue. Here's the thing that gets me out of bed every morning and makes me want to uh, work the long hours. And everybody on my team as well. We all feel the same way about this. We sit around in our organizations, our volunteer capacities, even in our personal lives, and we look at a group of people and we say, okay, I got to try and understand who those people are. They're not like me. So I got to understand those people. We can call it target audiences. If we're in a business perspective, we can call it just watching the news and trying to figure out why are those people doing that thing. The first thing our brains do innocently is to put demographic labels on top of that group. That's the first thing we're programmed to do is to say, wow, they, they look, they, 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 they're this age, their gender, marital status, income, they look wealthier than me, not as a, so we put all these demographic labels on a group of people. And again, innocently, but that just perpetuates for each other and for all time that this is the right way to think about people. That when you're confronted with new people, the first thing you should do is put labels on them and say, wow, they're male, they're female, they're rich, they're poor, they're young, they're old, they're black, they're white, they're gay, they're straight. We start doing that. It's what we're programmed to do and have been historically since the beginning of time. And here's why that's a bad thing. Because those labels lead to stereotypes. 
When we start looking at a group of people and say, okay, well, they're mostly women, then we stereotype, well, they're going to be like this because they're women. And if you don't think this is happening, just go to a toy store and look at the pink toys versus the blue toys. We make stereotypical leaps of faith around who people are based on these nonsensical labels from days gone by when they used to mean something. And then we have these stereotypes floating around that we keep perpetuating because we keep looking at people with demographic labels. So the labeling leads to stereotyping and the stereotyping leads to ageism, sexism, racism, homophobia, all these different social problems that we're grappling with. They're all the results of us continuing to look at each other based on outside characteristics, what we look like on the outside instead of who we are on the inside, inside our hearts, where it matters, where we are humans. I don't give a darn what somebody looks like on the outside. What matters is to understand who they are, not what they are. And that's the big difference. Demographics are all about what people are. Values are about who they are. And I want to see a world where we look at every aspect of what we do inside organizations, politically, culturally, socially, driven by who we are and what we have in common, what brings us together, what unites us, which is our core human values. And that's why we do the work we do. We figure that targeting organizations and getting them to adopt a valuographic perspective is the easiest way to make this change happen in a very, very big way. Because let's face it, these large organizations, they have the biggest megaphones in the world. They spend money to talk to people like nobody else does. So we can get them to spread the message for us by showing them how it can make them more money. Cool. That's great. You guys go make more money. And while you're doing it, I've just Trojan horsed this idea into your organization that there's a better way to understand yourself, understand the people around you, understand the people you want to impact. Because, you know, it boils down to this very, very simple thing. If we change how we look at people, that's it. Just change how we look at people. We can slowly, incrementally, we can change the world. Yes. And it's a very clear connective thread between those two thoughts. Wow. I Sorry, that. I got a little oh. carried away there. Oh, God, thank you. I'm, I'm so pleased that you did because uh, for me, that, that is just so important. So important. Um, What's well, the baseline, right? I mean, yeah. we, we're, we live in this time where we've disrupted everything from pizza delivery to car ownership to hotels to sp space travel. It's all been disrupted. And the last thing that needs to be disrupted is how we look at each other. Yeah. It's the fundamental building block of all of our other human activity is how we interpret the people in our world. And it has yet to change. It's still, we're still using the same tools that from, from thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago. It's nonsense. Yeah. And how, how, what's your advice then to somebody who's listening to this to be able to develop that practice? Because it feels like a practice that we have to adopt to go through almost the, to override the, the programming that we've had right going back from being children to see people for who they are, not what they are. How, how do we 
Well, I mean, one self-realization is a great thing, right? To just sit back and say, okay, if somebody was going to profile me demographically, would I appreciate that? Do I act my age? Nobody acts their age anymore. Uh, do I act my uh, role uh, and the things I'm supposed to do if I fit into a certain demographic category? Nobody does. And, and yet we're willing to assume that other people do. You know, I'm an outlier. I'm 57 years old. I do not act or think or look or feel like a 57-year-old, but I'm the only one because all the other 57-year-olds, they must all be exactly the same as each other because those are the tools I'm using to understand them. I'm assuming that age brings some kind of cohesion around that group of people. There's also um, three questions that we've developed. I, maybe I'll share those. They're really fun ways that you can mm, use them. If, sure. you're, if you're a business, or you want to use these as a way to just start getting people to start thinking about people a little bit differently, or even if you're not, it's just you uh, and your friends, get a couple of glasses of wine into your friends at the next dinner party and pull these questions out and you'll start to understand who your friends are on the inside. And what you'll discover is there are your friends because they're gonna answer these questions in very similar ways to the way you would, because that's what makes you friends. You have shared values. So here's the first question. We've tested these a bazillion times and they, you have to listen for the patterns and how people respond, but, but these will get you to their values. First question, why do you go to work every day? Yeah. People will tell you it's for my family, it's for the future, it's for, it's my creativity. It's because I feel like I'm making a difference. Those are values starting to bubble to the surface. Second question, why would you give away half of your lottery winnings? Now you got to probe a little deeper with this one because people will say, well, you know, I've got, I'm going to give it to uh, cancer because it, no, no, not who would you give it to, but why would you give it away? Why would you give away half your lottery winnings? What's that, what's that about? That gets you down to the level of values. And the third one is my favorite, and it's a good friend tester. Uh, use this one and you'll learn a lot about your friends. Um, you get to write a letter to yourself from 10 years ago. Yeah. Your 10 years ago self. What yeah. would you say? And I actually don't even really care what you say because the question is, why would you say those things? Of all the things you could possibly say to yourself from 10 years ago, why those ones? Now you see the pattern here, right? It's why do you go to work? Why would you give away? And why would you say those things? It's the why. That's why we do stuff. These big, important things. This is Simon Sinek's, you know, he's made a bazillion dollars running around talking about one word for his whole life, which is like, he's brilliant on, on that front. Uh, why? So we've taken that concept and made it into data. But with those three questions, you can start to get people to tell you their why. And that's the same thing as telling you their values. Our why is our values. Hmm. So, so how do you, how do companies take your work and you help them to take, to take this understanding, um, over like these, these 56 values, um, utilize that information to become really understand a segment they may be focusing upon how does that and so i've only got a couple of minutes because we're going to go to commercial we're going to go end the interview in right four, so five, companies come to us and say hey we want to understand a group of people customers prospects employees somebody we go out and do a little bit of work dig around come out pull stuff out of our database and we go back to them and say okay the people you're trying to understand they are driven in everything they do all day long by these things these two three four five things Use those things to frame up 
everything you say, everything you create, what you're making, what your next product uh, launches look as, looks like, what your everything about what you do. Make it about those values that they have in common and they will be magnetically drawn to you because they can't help it. It's a neurological fact. It's the way our brains operate. We chase what we value. So use those values and you can get these folks to follow you um, and and to, to to be inspired and motivated and engaged and all the things you're trying to to make happen. Yeah. So so actually, you can um, people could you know work out their you know their positioning their their, their web websites their communications based upon no, website is a great is a great example. When you're designing a website, one of the biggest decisions is what's the first thing people are going to see when they land on the homepage. Yeah. And you guess, you're like, well, they probably want to know about our something, something, fill in the blank here. Why not know with empirical data exactly what they want to see yeah. right on the homepage? Yeah. It should be something to do with the value of personal responsibility. These, Let's say that's the one that comes up for your audience. These folks want to know that they get to make a choice that makes stuff happen. They want to be the doers, the deciders. So say something about that right on the front page. We are not going to tell you what to do. You're going to make the decisions. Let's start this journey together. Yeah. Uh, something that's uh, something that's directive based on values instead of based on assumptions about who people are and what will get them to the table based on old fashioned ideas about demographics. It just, it's, it's, now that we know what people value and we can pinpoint it down to this incredibly precise level, why would you continue guessing? Here's the other thing I didn't tell you about. So once you start giving people what they value, once you start, they start seeing themselves reflected back in the brands and products and services that you're putting out there, the companies, the offers, the workplace engagement, anything we're talking about here the uplift, what we call the return on values, people will pay as much as 13% more for anything that gives them what they value. I yeah. totally buried the lead. That's where we should have started with this. People will just happily hand you money. If you just say, I see you, I get you. I know you're not a stereotype. Mm. I know who you are inside your heart. And so mm. here's why we've designed our product this way and why we want to talk to you about these things. They'll give you more money. And all you got to do is change the way you think about people and that can happen. Excellent. So um, we got to about 30 seconds. Do you, have a is that, do you have a final message you'd like to leave us with? You know, our very divisive times we live in right now, and this is our chance to be united. Our values bring us together. Our values are something we all share everywhere on earth, no matter what forces right now are trying to convince us that we're incredibly different from each other and we need to entrench this is our chance for us all to come together around our shared humanity. And it's an important moment for us to be thinking this way. Yeah. Uh, Dave, it's been an incredible um, conversation today. Very, very thought provoking, um, thought provoking from a personal perspective, thinking about how do you look at life from now on, you know, who, who uh, looking at people and at their values and what they have in common with you, as opposed to, judging them based upon their demographics. Um, I can see how this is just such important work for companies and organizations. And I, I love the, you know, that thinking that actually through organizations uh, doing well with this, that uh, this thinking can change by reaching a, a lot of people and 
you know we need we need work which is going to lead us to a better place right now uh, in these in these times so uh any questions or comments do send them to me at chris at chriscooper.co.uk and um, to find out um more about um david you can go to um to valuegraphics.com but also um you can buy the book the death of demographics you can check it out at valuegraphicsbook.com but you can access it from uh, the amazon um sort of platforms it's um, um available amazon.co.uk and com etc etc et um brilliant conversation today on next week's show we have seal stanford we're going to talk about the power of mindset seal i've interviewed before she was a great guest and since then she won a an award and was nominated as global woman of the year so uh, i think she knows a little bit about mindset and about how to uh, achieve the results that you want in life through and business through um through through mindset so do join us again next week uh, and uh, do um do do have a real deep think right now think about this interview think about what you've learned Think about how you can uh, spread this message that values are more important uh, and uh, start with yourself. That's what I will be doing this weekend is to keep thinking about who I, who I run into. What are, my, um, what are my immediate responses? Am I judging people and perceiving them? Um, whereas I, you know, the, the shift that we all need to make is to, is to recognize people for their values, irrespective of their age, color, um, et cetera. So David, been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. You're very welcome. We thank you for listening to the Chris Cooper Business Elevation Show. Please join your host, Chris Cooper, again next Friday at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Be more. Achieve more.